0: Well, happy Wednesday. I hope everybody is doing really, really well. Um, Tonight, we're kind of excited to wrap up the book of Jonah, kind of bittersweet. Um, I will tell you, this has been just such a joy for me, and uh, you guys have been so incredibly encouraging. I want to say thanks for all the text and the encouragement as we've gone through this teaching has been very life-giving um, for me um, as well. Uh, next week, Pastor will resume the life of Moses, and uh, really for the rest of the year, uh, he'll do that, and uh, so I'm very excited about that. He will pick up there, and uh, tonight we will um, we'll wrap up the series. If you have your Bible or if you want to look on the screen in your notes, uh, we will be in Jonah chapter 4 tonight. Uh, before we do that, let me just uh, let me catch everybody up to speed. If you haven't been able to be here, um, we have gone through the entire book of Jonah uh, for the last five weeks. Tonight is the fifth installment, and um, we've gone through these four books. And if you're not familiar with Jonah, just a quick recap: Jonah is a prophet, and uh, he is uh, a man of God. He hears the, the audible voice of the Lord come to him, and the Lord speaks to him, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to that great city Nineveh, and I want you to preach against its wickedness, and I want you to call them to repentance, and the Bible makes it clear that Jonah is not okay with that for reasons we talked about last week. Uh, There is a lot of bad blood between Jonah and the Ninevites, and so the Bible says that Jonah decides to flee or attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to to the harbor. He gets on a ship and he goes in the equal opposite direction from where God has called him to go in Nineveh. He goes uh, to a place called Joppa and he tries to set out for Tarshish, um, always enjoy saying that name by the way, um, he heads off for Tarshish uh, which is in the complete opposite direction and so the Lord, the Bible says, sends a storm onto the sea as he's on the ship. The ship begins to break apart and they realize that Jonah is the culprit. He is the reason that God has sent this storm on him and so the sailors, at a certain point, end up throwing him overboard. Jonah is sinking to his death in the midst of the sea. And the Bible says that then the Lord appointed a sea creature to go and to consume Jonah's whole body. And the Bible says that Jonah was in the, in the belly of that creature for three days and three nights. And Jonah, at a certain point, he cries out to the Lord and he prays and asks the Lord to deliver him from this pit. And the Bible says that uh, literally says that the sea creature vomited Jonah up onto the shore. And so Jonah headed off to fulfill his call to Nineveh. Last week we talked about how Jonah, when he approached Nineveh, That he went through the city, the Bible says, and he proclaimed uh, that the judgment of God was coming to the people of Nineveh. If They did not repent. The Bible says that from the least of them to the greatest of them, they repented, they turned to the Lord. And we pick up tonight in Jonah chapter 4. We are going to read the the entirety of the chapter. But before we do that... there are, there are two times that Jonah prays throughout, throughout this whole uh, portion of Scripture. Most of it is just a narrative of what's going on, but twice he prays. The first time Jonah prays, he's in the belly of the great fish. And when Jonah begins to pray in the belly of the great fish, he is at a moment of, of brokenness. Right? His heart is just really contrite before the Lord. He begins to talk about how far he is from the Lord, and he wants uh, to restore his vows to the Lord. He wants to give thanks to God, and he will fulfill the call of God that's on his life. He really approaches the Lord with, with a contrite spirit, with a broken heart. Well, the second time that we see Jonah pray, we're about to read, we see Jonah with not a broken heart, but we see Jonah with an angry heart. And what is made very, very clear throughout the book of Jonah is that Jonah never really wanted the Ninevites to come to the saving knowledge of Yahweh. He never wanted that for them. The only reason that he set out to do what God had called him to do was to alleviate the death that was, that was coming upon him. And so he goes and he preaches this. And so when the people of Nineveh turn and they turn to Yahweh, the Bible says from the least to the greatest, when they all turn and surrender their lives to the Lord, the Bible says that Jonah is furious over the great mercies of God. And so we, we pick up right here in chapter 4, and this is what the Bible says. It says, but their repentance displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And literally translated what the Lord is saying, he's saying, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry for the reasons that you're angry right now? The Lord is speaking to Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, examine your words, examine your heart in this moment. But the Bible says Jonah doesn't even reply to the Lord. But Jonah went out of the city, and he set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, kind of like a shelter for himself. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city of Nineveh. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it grow up over Jonah, that it might give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. It's almost as if the Lord is toying with Jonah in this moment. And when the, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And in this moment, Jonah, everything is exaggerated, if you notice. Everything with Jonah, every, everything that doesn't go his way, the big thing that he didn't get to go his way, it has magnified all the small things. That are not now going his way. And so every little thing that doesn't go his way, he says, Lord, just go ahead and kill me. Just, just take me out. Just do away with me. And so the Lord said to Jonah, stop being a baby. Oh, no, nope, that's mine. Uh, the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Right? So at first, the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, listen is it right that you're angry that I, that I redeemed the Ninevites? And now he's saying, Jonah, is it right that you're so upset about the plant? And Jonah said to the Lord, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. Well, Father, tonight as we uh, wrap up this uh, teaching on Jonah, my prayer is that the presence of the Lord would really rest upon us tonight. Father, as much as anything, we, we are reminded that although this is a, a phenomenal exposition of, of um, Jonah's life and the events that, that are carried out, Lord, we're reminded that this book was never really about Jonah. This book was always and forever about you and your goodness. And so my prayer tonight, Lord, is that you will remind us of that truth. That you will reveal your compassionate nature to us in a way that maybe we haven't even uh, thought of before. But I pray that the, the presence of the Holy Spirit will make things so real to us. Give us new revelation this fresh. Rejuvenate our hearts through the teaching of your word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen, amen, and amen. A few years ago, my, um, my wife and I, we lived in Panama City, Florida and we served as uh, youth pastors there for about nine years and uh, it was an incredible church we loved the people we still love the people um, but uh, we we literally left there to, to come to Christian life um, because we love this people but uh, one day when when I was at work after work uh, we had a pastor's and an elders meeting like a board meeting uh, a dinner and and to follow with the meeting and everything and so um, I remember on that particular afternoon, I was getting things ready. I was setting up the room and and trying to help the senior pastor get everything squared away and everything. And I remember getting a, a call on my cell phone. And when I picked up the phone, it was the most frightening sound that a husband can ever hear. It was my wife on the other end. And she was absolutely frantic and screaming and and crying. I couldn't really make out everything that she was trying to say. All that I could hear her understand, all that I could understand what she was trying to say is that she had just been in a car wreck. And so I was, I was trying to understand what was going on. I was panicked in the moment. And I just asked her, I said, I said, where are you at? Where are you at? And I was able to find out where she was. And it was only about five minutes away from the church. So I just kind of threw the phone down. I ran out. I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I just left. And, um, I remember pulling up to, to uh, the scene of the accident, and there were already police officers there, and there was an ambulance there and everything. They were very quick to respond. And um, I remember when I pulled up, you know when, you, when something like that traumatic happens, one of two things happen. Either everything slows down and everything goes into slow motion, or everything just drastically speeds up and you can't remember anything. This was a moment where everything slowed down. And I remember just pulling up, and it was like it, it was like my car could not get to the scene quick enough. I couldn't get to my wife soon enough. And uh, I remember finally getting there, and, and I remember looking at her car and, and what had happened. I knew exactly what had happened when I pulled up. She was on a, on a two-lane highway, and she was going this direction. And there was a, a crossroad uh, that crossed the highway. And basically, she had been going this way, and a vehicle had run past the stop sign and, and T-boned her. And it basically took her vehicle from the right lane across the left lane and over into the ditch on its side. And um, I remember the, the car was the, the first thing that I saw when I pulled up and I just thought, I thought somebody's dead. You know, I just thought somebody is seriously injured. This is not okay. And so I jumped out of the vehicle and, and I ran over and um, I'll, I'll say this, it is, it is one thing when your wife gets into a car accident, Right. It's another thing when your wife and your six-year-old daughter get into a car accident. It is an otherworldly thing when your six-year-old daughter and your wife, who is seven months pregnant, get into a car accident and you show up on the scene. And so um, I get out and I immediately rush over to Joy and she is, you know, she's big pregnant and um, if, if she can be big, but, you know, with Joy, she's so, it's just belly, you know, and so... Um, I go over, and, and I check on her, and, and I was so surprised at her disposition. She was upset. Like, you could tell she was upset, but there was just this this uh, presence about her that she was just so thankful in the moment that everybody was okay. They had they had cut. The windows were all busted out. They had, you know, slices on their face from the glass, and little Autumn had had blood dripping down her face and stuff, but they were okay. There was no, you know, really severe injuries that had happened, and I remember just, just almost being kind of surprised at what had just, you know, her response, she just seemed so thankful that everybody was okay. And I remember being thankful, obviously, I'm thankful that, that nobody's seriously injured, but my thankfulness was like this big, but my rage was like this. I was infuriated because I knew exactly what had happened. And when I pulled up to the scene, I knew that a car had run past the red light or passed through the stop sign and just T-boned her with such speed and such force that it threw her vehicle across two lanes of traffic into um, you know, the ditch. And so I am, I am furious and I'm looking for somebody's head. right? So I, I get up out of the car, I make sure they're okay. And I go and I am searching for the culprit. I'm, I'm going to find out who it is. And I see a, a little pickup truck. It's a single cab pickup truck. And I look over and there are three teenagers standing outside the pickup truck. There's two guys and a girl and I, I was not rude and I did not attack them or anything, but I was furious because I knew that this was just a negligent act, you know. And so I went over there and I was, I was not screaming at them, but I was screaming at the police officers and I was like, how does this happen? You know, we need, ju- I wanted justice. I wanted these kids to never be able to drive again. I wanted their vehicle to be towed. I wanted their parents to pay for it. I mean, I just want, I was so irate in the moment. And I remember looking at the kids as I was contending a little bit with the police officer and they were petrified. I mean, in the moment they were like dear in the hell, they were like 15, they were probably 16, 17 years old. And, and now looking back on it, I feel so bad for them. You know what I mean? They're probably scarred for the rest of their life. They saw this you know, little bean pole of a man rush over to them and threaten their lives. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember how, how terrified they looked. And as I reflect on, on that accident, it's so interesting to me that there was one event that happened, but there were so many different perspectives of what had happened, but also very different emotional responses as to what had happened. The, the kids were terrified. I was enraged. Joy was thankful. I'm not sure Autumn was, you know, crying. I mean, there were so many different points of view of what had happened, but more than that, there were so many different emotional responses to the same event, right? And when we look at the book of Jonah as as a whole book, when we look at the book of Jonah, there is really like a very, there is one main thing that is happening in the book of Jonah, it is, it, we are trying to get re- repentance out of the Ninevites. That is, that is really what is going on, and, and there are some things that happen. But what I'm so shocked at is that when Nineveh comes to repentance from the Lord, that between Jonah and Jehovah, there are completely different responses emotionally to their repentance. right? And this is like a defining characteristic about the book of Jonah. You've got really two attitudes or emotional responses or whatever you want to call it. There are really two that that kind of define the book of Jonah. The first one is Jonah's contempt at what's happening. He's infuriated. He he is so frustrated that the Lord would be so compassionate to save these barbaric people. And then on the other side, you have the Lord, and he is looking at the situation saying, welcome home, my children, right? Right? And so you have this this dilemma between views and all that is going on. The perspective between the same event really defines this fourth chapter. So tonight what I want to do is I just want to really focus on those two areas. I want to talk about Jonah's contempt with what's going on. And I want to talk about Jehovah God. I want to talk about his compassion about the situation that's going on. Now, now, let me say this. When we look at the book of Jonah and we talk about Jonah's contempt, um, you know, the, the truth is, is that in, in many places, um, the book of Jonah has almost been sanitized to a degree right it's almost been relegated to like children's church and you know it's almost viewed as like a mythological parable that you know well the kids will learn so much from this neat little story about a fish that swallows a man you know and um it's almost been shoved to the side i mean i know that there are books and commentaries and i'm sure there are sermons out there that people have Preached on the book of Jonah, but but in large measure in in like Christendom, if you think about the the largest influential churches in our nation, you really don't hear about Jonah a lot, right? And if you did hear about Jonah, chances are it would be very it would be very a sanitized version of what's going on. And so tonight, what I want to do, I, I want to make sure that we under that that we take the, the sanitizer out of it, right? I want to make sure that we clearly and emphatically understand that Jonah desperately and deeply hated these people. It wasn't, there is a difference between disliking someone and hating a person, right? A vast difference, right? I may not like, you know, the kids that we got in the car accident with. I may not like them. I don't hate them, you know? But I just, I don't want to be around you ever again. You know what I'm saying? Stay away from my family. But I don't hate them. And there are other situations where a person may hate another person, and that's a different thing. But in Jonah's situation, it wasn't just that he had a disdain for the Ninevites, it wasn't that he just hated the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites so much that not only did he want them to be destroyed, but he wanted them to be destroyed without salvation. That is a whole different level. When you're talking about, I don't want somebody to be a part of my life, and I want someone to burn in hell for all of eternity. And so it's important that we understand the gravity of what's going on in Jonah. It's, it's relegated to kids a lot, but, but honestly, it's, it's a very adult book. And frankly, we should, we should be a little you know, nervous about reading something like this to our kids without fully explaining what's going on so that they understand it. But the man hated the Ninevites, right? And it wasn't just just the Ninevites. There there are some scholars that believe right there at the end, the the Bible says, you know, um, uh, there were 120 people in Nineveh that didn't know their left hand from the right. And and there are a lot of people that believe that what the Lord was addressing right there was children, right? Because at different times in scripture, children are identified in that way. And it's almost as if the Lord is calling attention to Jonah and saying, Jonah, It's not just the adults that we're bringing into the kingdom. You're you're talking about this about the babies, right? And so there is like this vile hatred inside of the man of God. He could have gone and celebrated with these people right? He could have gone, listen, the prophet of God, the successful, the anointing just oozes off of this man. He could have taught them about the the word of Yahweh, the ways of Yahweh. He could have helped disciple them and to, to really raise them up and mature them. But what does Jonah do? He doesn't do any of that. As soon as he preaches his message, he dips right out of the city. The Bible says that he, he goes to the east of the city, he finds a hill, he climbs up on the hill, he makes himself a recliner, and he gets some popcorn, and he sits there to watch the show, right? Because at this moment, Jonah doesn't even know that, that the people have, have fully repented yet, right? He's there to see what's going to happen. We're, we're, we're still going to find out if, if God is going to rain down judgment or if the people are, are going to be saved. And the Bible says that Jonah goes up on the hill. And it says he is anticipating their utter and complete destruction, right? I mean, I mean, get this emotion in the moment. In contrast, you got Jeremiah, you got Jesus, who they go to their perspective cities. And the Bible says that they see the condition of the people and they weep and they are brokenhearted. And you see Paul at Athens, and the Bible says that he is he's greatly distressed over their condition. But then you see Jonah. And he is showing up for a spectacle, right? He's hoping for like a rerun of Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't know what's going to happen, how all this is going to unfold. And so here is what what rattles me as much of anything about about the thing with Jonah, right? As Jonah begins to talk to the Lord, if you notice Jonah's theological perspective, it is 100% accurate. Everything that Jonah says about the Lord is 100% true, right? So you've got this prophet who is a powerful man of God. His theology in his head is 100% on point. The trouble is, is that the theology never makes it from his head into his heart. And listen to me, I believe in education. I think we should know why we believe what we believe. I think we should be able to defend the truth of the gospel. I believe in all of that. I embrace it fully. But I'm going to tell you this, if, if we have so much head knowledge that it never becomes heart knowledge, we are in danger of becoming a person with a disposition, an emotional response as someone like Jonah. And so in Jonah's defense, let me just say that Jonah is ultimately, he's obedient to the Lord. Right? The Bible says that he goes, and of course it took him being swallowed by a sea monster, but he ultimately he goes and he is obedient to the Lord. Now, the trouble with Jonah's preaching is that he is, he is preaching the mercies of God, but he is not encompassing the mercies of God. Right? So in other words, he's preaching God's forgiveness, but he's not willing to forgive. Right. So he's preaching almost a double standard that God is willing to forgive you people but I'm just not there yet, right? And so there is is definitely a theological issue going on. And and here's the thing. I believe that we should do whatever God asks us to do, regardless of how we feel about it, right? So I honor Jonah for at least being obedient, but that's not really the point of the Lord's correction for Jonah. It's so important that, that we understand, and I know that you know this, I'm just, I'm saying it for me. It is so important that I understand that walking with the Lord is not the goal of walking with the Lord. Isn't for me to get to this place of blind, lifeless obedience. Right? That's, that's not the point of, of where I'm trying to get with the Lord. The point of me walking with the Lord and the Lord asking me to do certain things that may rub me the wrong way is not so that I will just do what I'm told, do what I'm told, do what I'm told. It's for the Lord to be able to take my heart and to take his heart and to kind of bring those to an alignment so that when I do what he's asking me to do, I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what he wants because he wants it and ultimately because I want it. And so what we find in Jonah, right, what we find all throughout Scripture, really, is that the Lord is not just concerned with our obedience. He is definitely concerned with that. But as much as he is concerned with our obedience, he's concerned about the condition of our heart and the motives of our heart. Jonah, is it right for you to be upset about this? Does it do you well to be mad that I just saved hundreds of thousands of people aren't going to be destroyed? And you're mad about this? Is that okay, Jonah? Examine your heart. Jonah, you're angry about a plant that died, but you wouldn't have been angry if I would have taken out these hundreds of thousands of people. And so the Lord calls out, Jonah, examine your anger. Jonah, examine your heart. Jonah, why did you do the things that you just did? We, we see this all throughout scripture. Uh, uh, Jesus' uh, half-brother, James. The Bible tells us that as he's writing to the New Testament church, he's talking about prayer and he's saying, listen, when you pray, some of you aren't receiving from the Lord. It's not because you're praying the wrong thing. It's because you're praying for the wrong reasons. James says, he says, listen, some of you aren't receiving from the Lord because you're praying with the wrong motives, right? Jesus, as he stands before the religious leaders, Right? He says, listen, fellas, you're saying all the right things, but your heart is far from the Lord. And in Amos, one of the most sobering passages in, in all of Scripture, in Amos 5, the Lord comes down with fury. And he is talking to all of Israel. And he's saying, listen, I want you to stop your worship. Stop giving me your sacrifices. Stop with the tambourines. We should stop that today also. Stop with all the singing. Stop with everything that you're doing. Because you're doing all the right things, but your heart isn't pure. And I think for, for, for me today, it is so important that I get my hands around the idea that it's not just what I do that pleases the Lord, but it's the reasons that I do it. That pleases the Lord. You can have two very different people doing the same activity. One pleases the Lord, and one definitely doesn't, right? So you have Jesus. The Bible says he's associated with Jonah. Jesus goes into the pit of the earth after the crucifixion. He then, after he goes into the pit... The Bible, and we don't have time to get into all this, but Jesus goes and basically preaches the gospel to those who have gone before him, right? So Jesus is preaching to what the Bible calls the enemies of God. Jesus goes and preaches the good news and it pleases the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is preaching the good news out of a heart of love and compassion and concern. It's a very selfless moment where Jesus is saying, listen, come home, Come home to the Father. Please come with me. I have made a way. Jonah, on the other hand, the Bible says when he comes out of the pit of the whale, that he also goes and he preaches to his enemies, but it displeases the Lord because Jonah does it with an attitude of dishonor, not an attitude that is pleasing to the Lord. So you can have two different people that are doing the same thing but because their motives are offered, their heart is wrong, one of them can be right and one of them can be displeasing to the Lord. And so you may say, uh, well, listen, at least Jonah obeyed the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I'm sure the Ninevites are thankful today, those who were in heaven, because Ju- uh, uh, Jonah preached the gospel. I'm, I'm sure that they are thankful for that. But just because something pragmatically works, and there is fruit and there are results, it doesn't always mean that it was done in the right spirit or in the right way, right? I mean, there have been a thousand times where I've obeyed the Lord with the wrong heart, right? And I'm sure you have too from time to time. And that is the human condition. We are broken, we are separated from the Lord. And so, so until we go to the other side, we're always gonna contend there. But I just I needed to be careful and understand that that just because I'm obedient doesn't always mean that that it's okay that it's right, okay? And so um, I would say to us that uh, when I do the the right thing with the with the wrong motive, it is it's kind of alike, but it's completely different. Right, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord wants to do, but it's completely different from what He really wanted me to do. Right? Um, I remember a few years ago I was reading an article. Um, I think it was the National Geographic, and uh, it was talking about the similarities between the DNA of human beings and the DNA of chimpanzees. And the entire article is is built on. The science, I mean, they just, you know, they they built their case for it. And then in in the end, the culmination of the article basically said this. It basically said that the difference DNA-wise between a human being and a chimpanzee is only 1.23% difference. And so in the article, what they're saying is they're saying, look, this is evolution before our eyes. They're making a case that, man, this small percentage is, is incredible. We don't even need to pay attention to it. This gives credibility to everything that we've been saying. They are making a case for that. When I read the article, I'm saying that 1.23% is a pretty significant percent, right? Like, it is the difference between me not playing with feces and throwing it, and it's the difference between me knowing how to type on a computer it's the difference between me understanding human relationships and interaction and understanding the gospel, it is, it, there's a big difference there. And so my estimation is that that small difference makes all the difference, right, between humans and chimpanzees. And, and I will equate that to the same when it comes to motives and obedience. The small difference of motives is really all the difference when it comes to pleasing the heart of the Lord. And so um, it's important for us to understand that our right actions do not justify wrong motives, okay? Right actions cannot justify wrong motives, okay? So for example, um, in my family, we are very— touchy, tactile, we love and we cuddle and we, you know, there are times we, there are like seven or eight, of them. I can't even remember, I'll, I lose count, but there are a lot of us and sometimes we'll all sleep in the same bed on the weekend or something like that. And so we're very close family and, and very affectionate. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my daughters, who will not be named, um, she, uh, she was laying on the couch and, the, and I was laying on the couch and I had my cell phone. Um, I wasn't on it, it was kind of on the couch next to me. And as she's laying on the couch, she kind of leans over and she puts her hand in my hand, right? And I'm like, this is, this is a precious moment, right? I'm, I'm eating this up and I'm like, I love you so much. And about four seconds later, her hand slips from my hand and it goes for my phone. <laughs> and she takes my phone and slips out of my hand and she goes to do the thing. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, did her actions get her what she wanted? Yeah. Were her motives right in what she did? No! Incredibly offensive, incredibly hurtful to her loving father, right? And so I think it's important, again, I will not belabor this, but it's so incredibly important for us to understand that motives mixed with obedience are incredibly important before the Lord. And so the Lord is constantly trying to recalibrate not only our hearts through Scripture, but he's constantly trying to pull Jonah back into this, as we can see through the text. And the reason is because he understands that Jonah is doing what he should be doing, but he's doing it with the wrong heart, okay? And so in contrast to Jonah's vile hatred and his contempt with what the Lord wants to do, we see on the other side of this, we see uh, Jehovah God. We see His compassion. Uh, Jonah even recalls Moses' experience with the Lord. I think Pastor May had mentioned this on, on Sunday, where the Bible says that the Lord passed before Moses, and, and he describes himself to Moses, and this is what he says. Uh, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast uh, love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Jonah taps into the understanding of God's compassion, of who God is. This scripture found in Exodus 32, it is echoed 32 times in the Old Testament. It is the most repeated scripture in scripture that we are aware of, and it is a description of who God is. So think of it in these terms. If the Bible had like a bio page, you know how most books you can open or on the back it talks about the author and stuff. If it it had a section here for the Lord, the author of the scripture, it would literally say this. The Lord, the Lord, God uh, gracious and merciful and and, uh, steadfast love and and abounding for thousands and thousands. It would would go into this thing because that is who God wants us to understand him as. And so this is why the book of Jonah is so important. Because what God is trying to communicate throughout the book is that he is trying to reiterate to us that even the most barbaric, vile, grotesque, violent, sinful people on the face of the planet are not out of reach of his arm, right? They are not out of reach of God's salvation. He can still do a tremendous work in them, and he is reminding of us, over and over and over again. And you may look at it and you may say, but, but I'm already a Christian. Why do I need to be reminded of this? Well, A.W. Tozer would say this. He would say, what you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And the reason that he would say that is because however we view God is how we live our lives. If you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, it doesn't which God you believe in, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter, but I'm saying in this context, it, 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 it shapes the way that you live. And so the Lord, what he's trying to do is he's trying to remind us, I am God who is gracious and I am merciful and my love is steadfast and you can't break it even when you mess up really, really big, right? So he's constantly drawing us back into the good news, drawing us back into the gospel. The gospel has got to be something that we don't just have the head knowledge and we understand the terminology and we kind of rationale and emotionally get it. It is a thing that we need to revisit again and again and again because it shapes the way that we live when we continue to revisit his goodness to us in our lives. And so I'll just say this real quickly, and I know we got we to gotta go, but I'll say this real quickly, that, that there, is, there is currently um, – a false teaching in probably the last fifty, sixty years has really, really come to light. Even in some Christian circles, um, it was a really large teaching in the in the early church. Um, but but basically, it it teaches that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different beings, or that the God of the Old Testament kind of like had like a meeting with the angels, and he was like, "We got to change this," right the 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 judgment and the wrath and all this stuff that's not working. We got to shift to be a God of care and compassion and love and all this kind of stuff. And there's like this teaching that basically says that the God of the Old Testament is, is just a God of wrath. And when Jesus came, that God then kind of shifted or he transformed, and now he's just a God of love. And I want to tell you, listen, when Jonah is contending with the Lord, he's not saying, Lord, you're so mean, You're so spiteful and you're so judgmental. I'm sick of it. No, man, he is saying, Lord, you are way too compassionate. These are wicked, evil people. And you continue to give them opportunity after opportunity off with their heads. But the Lord says, no, I am the God of steadfast love that will prevail. And so the Old Testament it's not just this, this, this focus on the wrath of God. That is definitely clear. But, but can I just say this? Listen, I'm not sure if you've read much of the New Testament. There's some crazy stuff that the Lord's going to do, right? I'm not sure if you peeked into, like, Revelation a little bit. But he's going to pour out some wrath, right? And, it, and, it's, and it's not going to be crazy pleasant. I, I'm saying all that to say this, is that the Lord is the same yesterday, He is the same today and he will be the same forever. And so I will say that we gotta be careful with the teaching that we listen to, even from some Christian leaders. And I'll tell you one of the best ways that you can remedy bad teaching is to pick up the book and to read it for yourself from cover to cover, right? Because this is the problem. And so one of the problems in many, many pulpits today, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but there are a lot of times where we choose portions from this book that fit our needs and then we go to this book and we pick out portions and then this book and pick out portions. The reality of the truth is is that we will never understand the whole, we will never get a grip on who the Lord truly is until we get an understanding of the book holistically then and only then will we really get a grip on who he is. And so that's a, that's a good remedy to uh, kind of cast out false teaching. And so it's important for us to understand that God is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. I'll tell you, um, uh, throughout the Old Testament, um, you can read your notes on some of this. I'm not going to um, go through a lot of that. But let me, just, let me just say this. God is trying to convince Jonah of how important compassion is, right? And so what the Lord does is the Lord raises up this plant, of all things, right, the Lord, he's like, I think I'm going to use a plant today. And the Bible literally, there, there are like seven times that the Bible, in, in, just in the book of Jonah, where the Bible says the Lord appointed the fish, the Lord appointed the plant, the Lord appointed the worm, different things. The literal translation to that is the Lord anointed, right? So the Lord anointed these things for a very specific purpose that he fulfilled. And when the Lord raised up the plant, Jonah thought it was just for shade, But the Lord was trying to teach Jonah something about the compassionate nature of God. And so, this is kind of the dialogue that goes on with Jonah and the Lord. The Lord is basically saying, Jonah, um, I love a people and you love a plant, right? He's saying, I love a people and I wanna save them for their sake. You love a plant for your sake because it's giving you shade, right? You're going to be angry. If I don't destroy a people, but you are happy when I produce a plant. When I destroyed the plant, you're angry. But when I save the people, you're also angry. And what the Lord is ultimately trying to say, he's trying to say Jonah, Jonah, you are putting a plant above the souls of men and women. You are preferring the plant and you are more upset about these things than you are the things that really and truly matter. Right? And so the Lord raises his plan to teach Jonah a lesson, but he doesn't just do that. The Bible says that the Lord, the Lord uh, causes the, the sun to be exceedingly hot. He, he throws this, this wind, that's a brutal burning wind, on, Ju, on uh, Jonah so that Jonah will be uncomfortable. And this is what I personally believe. I personally believe that God is trying to help Jonah understand compassion by giving Jonah a taste of what hell is like. He is in the desert. It's a burning wind. He apparently doesn't have any hair. And it's scorching hot outside. I think what the Lord is trying to say when he says, Jonah, listen, I have delivered you from a temporary heat and you're thankful for it. I have delivered these people from an eternal heat and you should be equally as thankful that I didn't penalize them. And so, so the whole book or the whole last chapter about the book of Jonah is all about the Lord trying to get Jonah to understand compassion. It's about the Lord doing it, but the problem is that Jonah just can't see it. You've heard the saying that love is blind. I wanna tell you hatred's blind also. And we see it unfolding in the life of Jonah right here. And so Nineveh, this, this picture, it, it's uh, of, of God saving the Ninevites. It is a beautiful understanding of, of Jesus's statement later. You'll see in your notes in Matthew chapter five, when Jesus is basically talking to the people, and this is the context of what he's saying. He's, he's saying, listen, people, I know that the religious leaders of this day, you have heard it said by the religious leaders to love your neighbor And to hate your enemy. Jesus said this, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And listen, this is why he said it. You know the most fascinating, this is why he said, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is what he said, that you may be children of your father in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I want you to love those who hate you because when you do that, you are a reflection of the triune God, the one and true God. You are a reflection, not when you attack those who hate you, not when you fold into their traps, but when you persistently, you intentionally pursue those who are your enemies and those who persecute you and those who hate you, it is in that moment that you are a reflection of your heavenly father. A few years ago, I was, I was, um, I don't even know how I came upon this, but there was a website. This was shortly after 9-11. It was probably 2005, 2006. And, and I remember I stumbled upon um, a website and the website was basically called something like Pray for a Terrorist right? And what it was when I investigated, it was, it was a guy who had been to war. He was an American soldier and he had gone to war. He had seen his friends murdered or killed. He and his friends had likely killed um, those on the other side. And when he came back to the States, he had this testimony and he said that the love of God, he was so grieved at everything he saw over there. And when he read this scripture from Matthew 5, it so gripped his heart. He said, I need to be super intentional. About dealing with my enemies in the right way. And so he created this website that's that's basically pray for a terrorist. And so what he did, he took like a hundred different terrorists and put their photos on the website, and people could basically go and click and, and pick a terrorist to pray for. It is the most literal interpretation of the scripture that I've ever seen in my life, right? I mean, it was like very intentional about what he was doing. And listen to me say this. I know that sounds a little bit extreme, but I want you to consider for a moment moment what God was asking Jonah to do. You're talking about a people who today would be considered modern-day terrorists that had ravaged not just a nation, but had ravaged the nations. And they were encroaching upon Jonah's nation. And the Lord sends him with a message of hope to the very people that he hates. And part of the reason that he's doing that is to help Jonah understand what's going on. And so tonight, as we we close up, I'm going to just run through really quickly kind of uh, to encapsulate a few questions uh, that I think it may be good for us to ask when we are alone. Um, A few questions as, as we wrap this up. Number one, as we examine the book of Jonah, do I find myself being like Jonah, who refuses to listen to God when he speaks? I want you to notice all throughout this book, the Lord speaks in like seven or eight different ways. Number one, the Lord speaks through nature. We see the Lord send a wind, he sends a worm, he sends the sun, he sends a plant, he sends a fish, he sends a storm. The Lord appointed these things to speak to Jonah circumstantially. Number two, we see God speak with his audible voice to Jonah. Number three, we see the Lord speak to Jonah through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when Jonah was on the ship, that they were trying to figure out who caused all this turmoil to come upon us. And the Bible says that the sailors decided to cast lots. And basically what lots were, it was, it was a, you know, a cultural way, even, even in scripture there there are times when uh, the people of God, they would cast lots and they would trust the Lord to cause those lots to fall in the way that the Lord so determined so that they would know which way to go or which direction. We see this in the book of Acts when they are trying to find a replacement for, Judah, or, or for Judas. The Bible says that the disciples come together, they pray and they cast lots and the spirit of God directs the lots to fall in that way. Now, let me just clarify this. We don't do that anymore because shortly after they cast lots and they choose Matthias to replace Judas. Shortly after that, the Spirit of God comes. And then from there on out in the New Testament, we don't have people casting lots. We have people hearing from the Spirit of the Lord. It, it, It was good to us and to the Holy Spirit. So uh, we obviously don't do that anymore, but we see the Spirit of God speaking to Jonah um, through through his Spirit. Number four, we see God speaking to Jonah through Scripture. As Jonah is in the belly of the fish, Jonah, he literally, there are 11 verses of Scripture, nine of them are Scripture from the Psalms. Uh, number five, we see that God speaks through his prophet Jonah to the Ninevites. Number six, we see where God speaks through his actions. And then number seven, we see where God speaks through his inaction. As Jonah looks over the city waiting for God to bring about judgment on the people of Nineveh, the silence of God speaks volumes. And Jonah knows exactly what that silence means. He knows that God has instilled his compassion And his reluctance to bring judgment on these people. But even in the face of all of this, Jonah still doesn't get it. Jonah's still frustrated. Jonah still doesn't understand. And so we got to ask ourselves, am I like Jonah in the sense that when the Lord speaks, am I willing to listen? Number two, am I like the storm, the fish, the plant, all of nature that are willing and ready to obey the Lord? Number three, am I like one of the soldiers who run to the Lord mainly in times of crisis alone? Number four, am I like the Ninevites who are quick to repent? Number five, am I like the Lord who is filled with deep and great compassion? So as we finish, I know I'm out of time here. So as we wrap up the book of Jonah, let me, let me just say a couple of things real quick. Firstly, let me, let me just say, as harsh as I have been on Jonah, Let's be careful that we not be too judgy with Jonah, myself included. A high calling is not an easy climb. And Jonah had an incredibly high calling on his life. The frustrating thing about the book of Jonah is not how it begins, not what goes on in it, but it's mainly how it ends. Basically, the Lord has the first word in the very beginning of the book, and the Lord has the last word at the end of the book, and then there's silence. The book just ends. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't just end with a period. It ends with a question mark. It ends with an unanswered question. And not just one unanswered question, but many, many unanswered questions. Like, did Jonah ever repent? Did Jonah ever realign and recalibrate his heart to fall in line with the Lord? And unfortunately, we just don't know. We do know that Jonah in Nineveh became a hero. The tomb of Jonah is in or it was in the city of Nineveh a few years ago, the, the forces of ISIS destroyed the tomb of Jonah. But we know that the tomb of Jonah was in Nineveh. And so we know that Jonah was heralded as, as, as a great prophet, even in the people of Nineveh. We know that the Eastern churches today, they still commemorate the, with prayer and fasting the people of Nineveh who turned to the Lord. We know that on Yom Kippur, which just passed a couple of days ago, at the end of every Yom Kippur in traditional Jewish churches, the very last book that they read of the Old Testament is the book of Jonah because they want everyone under the sound of their voice to be reminded that God is the God of compassion, that God is the God of all people, not just their people. And as we finish out the book of Jonah, we realize that with great power. But we also understand again, as I said, that the book of Jonah was never intended to be about Jonah. The book of Jonah was intended to be about a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for all generations. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. My prayer is for the saints tonight that we all will have a fresh encounter with the merciful nature of our good God. Lord, not only will we have an encounter with you in that sense, but we will be walking vessels of compassion to people, especially people who do not know you. So my prayer tonight, Lord, will you anoint us in that way? In the same way that you anointed the plant and the worm and the fish and all of these things, will you anoint us to be used by your hand to bring about good in this earth? And I thank you for your goodness to us. We bless you. We thank you for Jesus all that he done and all that he has done for us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. The Lord bless you so much. We love you. We will see you Sunday. Have a great rest of your week.